Right. Hello there. Welcome to the Black Belt and Thinking webinar. Right. I will stop that share the video. So today I have with me James Powell. James, who has uh, an absolute expert in the kind of things we're looking at on this webinar. So the purpose of the webinar is to give you, the viewer, something tangible to take away. Come and learn something that you can actually use to think better <laughs> while you go about your life. I'm Peter Cronin, uh, host of the webinar, of course, and lead presenter of the Black Belt and Thinking. And James is great for this uh, presentation we have today, or this interview, uh, because he spent so long around logical thinking tools. In fact, first applying them back in the early 90s, James, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, um, to a software company and having a massive impact there, taking that, moving it into a dedicated business, um, implementing these thinking techniques along with um, other group and strength technologies, and then going back and using these thinking techniques with um, a founder and CEO and a senior management team to take another software company to IPO and great successes. So without any more uh, pomp and circumstance, I'll welcome James Bell. Hello, everyone. Thanks for the intro. Cool. All right. <laughs> so James. We're here to talk about Druids. So do you want to give us um, the elevator pitch for what is a Druid and why should we be excited? Sure. Um, the elevator pitch, if we had to keep it very short, is that um, you know how many times in life and in business you find yourself um, on the horns of our dilemma where sometimes you choose one option and sometimes you choose the other and either way, um, you just seem to end up back where you started. That's the very short version. Um, <clears throat> a slightly longer version is an observation that I had working late nineties with, um, in the consulting business was that we'd, we'd visit a company and, you know, you start the dialogue about, um, what are your issues, what's going on in the business, and, and you'd find that uh, uh, one functional area would start to talk about a problem, and um, fairly quickly a, a representative of a different functional area would uh, create a counterpoint. So, you know, it might be, for example, uh, you know, finance is saying that, um, well, we need to get inventories down, you know, whereas the sales manager immediately goes, whoa, whoa, whoa hang, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, we've we got serious issues with stock availability. You, you can't just be driving inventory down willy-nilly. And so we would see this, uh, I suppose, this conversational tennis match going on between the, um, the managers. So as a consulting group, you, you're sitting there and you're listening to this back and forth. And it's very tempting uh, to perhaps think your job is to somehow leap in and adjudicate um, and I, I found I got a lot more insight by not just watching, but perhaps even um, stirring up these looping conversations to try and get a lot more clarity on what was going on. And I, 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 call, I called it Magic Druids because it felt like um, perhaps watching a, a, a movie with uh, 
you know, the, the magicians or like Harry Potter or, or Star Wars, you know, Yoda versus Count Dooku or whatever, where the characters have got some sort of mystic power and they're trying to use the force of their will to impose the obviousness of their argument on the other side. And so you would see these managers going to war on each other like magic druids um and and they would even you know cast spells they'd be getting animated and they'd get madder and madder and they, then they'd invoke these one-liners that were like magic phrases um uh, and, and use buzz terms like stock out you know and and so on and so it was as though somehow just the sheer if you could just shout these words loud enough you could somehow win the war. And um, like what often happens in movies is a standoff, but the two sides, you know, the, the red energy blasts out of the one side and the blue energy blasts out of the other and they meet in the middle and it's a big cascade. And then at the end of it, they all run out of gas and just stare at each other and go, well, that was spectacularly ineffective. Um, and, and, and so watching warring druids, um, was it sort of tickled me as um, as as a an analogy for what I was seeing in, in business. And rather than think that that was somehow a problem in and of itself, it occurred to me that that was indicative of a deeper issue. Mm. Um, and the deeper issue was that any business uh, survives out of being stable in the face of outside forces, or in fact, any entity that's trying to survive a living cell. Um, also survives by creating stability internally relative to outside forces. And the, the, thing, the part of the stability, if you think about, you know, maintaining your blood chemistry or a cell maintaining its internal um, biochemical state is that it's all buffered against the environment. So it doesn't matter what the environment throws at the system, the system uh, buffers out that shock. And so this stability that we see in this argument, these, un, uh, these um, unwinnable fights, and yet, nevertheless, they continue to be fights. Um, these are an, a, um, a side effect, and they're a powerful and useful side effect of stability. So in order for a business to survive, it has to have stability. And in order to have stability, it has to have balancing and competing forces. In order to have balancing and competing forces, it has to have unwinnable fights in it. <laughs> so, so this is yep. not, this is not, you know, the, 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 the druids as such, so-called druids, are not the problem. They tell you why the system is so stable and they speak to the strengths of that system and how the system um, stays in the state that it's in. So that's the, um, that's the very short version, the medium version and the long version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> so obviously you started to realise um, the, the fact the Druids were there. However, and I can... I can, I can ask this question because I was also there at this switching yeah. point. <laughs> what was the switch between it being the way you did things, uh, I guess the realisation of how you saw things and turning it into a functional tool? Yes, I remember we were in Germany, I think, or we were on the way. I think we'd landed at the airport in Germany. You and I we were in the airport hotel or something and I had one of those blinding flash of the obvious yeah, really crap moments. Um, yeah. And it came about because we were looking for a way to rapidly complete the diagnostic toolbox um, mm. set from the Black Belt and Thinking course that you were running in Germany. And 
the, the, the challenge of one is does it take so long to do a deep dive cause and effect map of a, of a business system and then come up with a breakthrough now you know when I say so long I mean we, we might be solving intractable systems that <clears throat> have been in, in a dire state for a decade um, and, and you know we're seeking to solve it in a week uh, but when you what I was finding was that as I got more and more fluent with recognizing these warring patterns, the need for me to spend that week had diminished down and down and down and down and down to where pattern recognition of the set of conflicts was enough for me to, um, you know, I'm not going to say sort of magically solve things, but enough for me to have a very clear landscape of the of the, what makes the business powerful and stable. And so to be able to take that landscape and work rapidly with the participants in the system, as and, and people would say things like, you've only been here 15 minutes. It feels like you've been having these fights with us for the last 30 years. You know, it feels <laughs> like you've been sitting in yep. our board meetings. It feels like you've been in our management dialogues. How did, how did you absorb the usness of things so quickly, and the, and the answer is these patterns you see. So we so here we are going to Germany to teach the black belt thinking course, and I'm and I'm thinking why these are participants in the system that they're diagnosing. How on earth does it take them five days or four days? You know, from Friday afternoon really to Monday night, if I remember correctly, um, to to sort of definitively state right these are the core conflicts that we need to disrupt in order to change our reality and you and i were asking the question you know if, if, why does it take from friday afternoon to monday night when i can do it in three hours on a business i've never met before and, and fortunately you and i were off to visit uh, i won't name the business but we were off to visit a german company at the time and i said well I'll just do what I do, take notes, you know, and take photos and record me. And let's afterwards take a look at it. And what on earth was he up to in that meeting? Like, what was I doing? And we worked out when we got back to the hotel that what, the first thing I did was I looked for these, these uh, fight starters. Mm. And then I would stir them up a bit with some sort of primers that I know from industry. Um, you know, lob out a few of these magic key phrases that people like to use to go and warn each other and see if that explodes it. And as soon as it explodes, I quickly grab the whiteboard marker and start drawing a loop. And it would be a, an infinite loop because, of course, the moment you give any credibility to one side's argument by documenting it, and, of course, writing it down makes it true, right? So <laughs> you, you go, oh, okay, so if this happens, if you do that, then this leads to that, then this leads to that, and then, oh, my goodness, the goal gets violent. So no wonder you're insisting other side. And then, of course, the other person um, you know, can't stand the idea that, the, that, that that's all up on the whiteboard and their mm. side of the story isn't, so then they want to give you their side of the story. So very quickly in that meeting, what you observed was that um, I was able to just sort of lob... Uh, hand grenades onto the paddock, <laughs> let them all go off, watch the fallout, and then document quickly the loops. And then from the loops, you can, you can generate a sense of calm when you point out the commonality between the loops. And when you point out the commonality between the goal violations. And 
to then have, um, you, you know, you, you notice your audience sort of relax a bit and go, oh, so you do understand us. And then that leads obviously to the, so what's the solution? Who's right and who's wrong? And the answer is, well, neither. You have to build a solution that's a win-win, don't you? So you've got to do it a completely different way, which is how the theory of constraints methodologies work. So for those people in the audience, and I know there's quite a few that come from the TOC community, theory of constraints, if you think about this as, uh, just to dive into jargon for 30 seconds, the three UDI cloud method that's quite popular in the community and the way in which a current reality tree is analyzed using um, uh, uh, UDI clouds. This is like a supercharged version of that where I can document maybe seven of these figure eight loops from a system and they are really uh, just deep dives into um, undesirable effect clouds. And, uh, by the time you get to seven, and it normally wouldn't even take seven, the commonality flicks out and you end up hypothesizing a core problem. Very easy to test. You then take that core problem and you drive almost any recurring fight in the business up against that core problem and see if it inflates it. And if it does, within a matter of moments, your audience are all going, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. That we're actually defined by that core problem. So now you know what to work on, and it's not all of the all of the drills. <laughs> yeah. Right? You down into the core problem, work on that instead. Uh, and this, of course, is the breakthrough in the TSC community. The difference is I can produce, in effect, a current reality tree with a high level of audience participation and clarity and using their language in a matter of really decaminates, you know, but hours at absolute maximum, but uh, whereas normally that's a huge process. Um, or or you, you try to do it quickly, but then it's superficial. And as a consultant, you find you're pushing your, your world mm. perspective into their analysis. Um, whereas the figure eight loop method or the magic druid method doesn't, doesn't require you to contribute any content at all. You can, you can just let the author you can let the system participants define all the content. So they, they certainly can't accuse you of, uh, it's very Socratic. They can't, they can't, after the fact, claim that you steered them. There's no steering available. Yeah. yeah. So that's how we came up with it. We, we saw a discrepancy between sort of really fluent use of the diagnostic toolbox and first time use of the toolbox and said, what, what is the constraint in that process? What is the expert doing that's not, that the beginner is not? Furthermore, we discovered that not only um, is the expert doing something the beginner is not, but that the, the, but the class did not teach what the expert was doing. It was teaching a different method that once you'd learned that and become incredibly fluent at it, you learn an even faster way. Uh, and we concluded that the even faster way was actually the better tool in the first place. So we might as well go straight to it. Now, you and I tested it that very weekend and we knocked a day off the analysis at first try. Remember, we were going for walks and we came back and went, what the heck just happened? You know, how did these guys get so... We did a walk around the block and came back and they'd knocked up five hours work in an hour. Um, yeah, we were quite shocked. So by Sunday night, we were where we normally would be on a Monday night and we were able to take that and, and, and further compress and accelerate it. So... That's how it all came to be. It did. It did. Um, I'll just add, because I came because I was there. <laughs> uh, what, what, what you said about um, 
the one side of the loop going up. I remember, so again, we won't name the company, but for context, it was it was a software company, probably not surprisingly, um, that we were meeting with in, in Germany, in Hamburg. And we had in the meeting both people from, I guess you'd call it the operations side of software, the you know team leaders and things like that. And we had the commercial side, the, the more senior managers who were more focused on, I suppose, the commercial outputs. And we just happened to start because I guess we were sort of talking more with the uh, more senior people with the commercial side. And you could see the stress and frustration in the faces of the development side while we were, you know, drawing up what's going wrong with this side of the loop. And they just yeah. itching to get in there. And they were, they were quite sort of fr- frustrated when they had their moment to say, yeah, but they really did, right? It was... Yeah, but the other side is this, and they came out with that. And then once both sides were up, both parties, I suppose, were actually, as you said, quite happy. They were like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that causes that, and that causes that. Oh, <laughs> you guys aren't assholes. <laughs> yeah, well, a big part, it's a real trap in consulting to suddenly become a referee, I think. Especially, I mean, sure, you can sometimes, but... In the case of, of a system stability, in the, in the, especially in the case where the business is quite successful, uh, the idea that you would suddenly, you as an outsider who just got here five minutes ago, would put one set of system needs ahead of another set of system needs, that you would somehow prioritize one, one goal over another, it always leads to the accusation, well, what would you know? You've only been here five minutes. You know, we've been in this for all this amount of time. Whereas... When you, when you present back, your system is stable, and this is why. You know, that lands as insight. That, that, uh, now, of course, that leads to the, the horrific observation that, um, oh, boy, are you screwed. Uh, you know, and I used to joke back like, probably early thousands or late 90s, I, I had a, um, I used to call it the sucks to be you moment. Um, or, or, or a slightly longer version is um, when the prospect looks at the second floor window lovingly like they might take a dive out of it, you know you've got the core problem right. Um, now, you know, obviously that's flippant and it's intended to be because it's, it was about uh, teaching uh, my team, um, you know, please, please don't go in there like you've got all the answers. Please don't go in there like you're going to solve everything. Please don't go in there like you're somehow gifted and insightful in a way that um, belies their, or makes a lie of their history and their experience. Mm. They know what they're talking about and their conflicts are real. So to, um, you know, real in the sense that they're living them. Um, Now they may be based on invalid assumptions and all of those things that we hope to address as consultants, but but they they certainly don't see that. And a sales meeting would be very dangerous to claim that, Someone who's been there 15 minutes knows more about their system than they do, even though, in fact, you might. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the consultants all look at each other and go, oh, this again, you know, uh, what do we do now? Because you, you're, you're actually in a weak druid yourself. Do you reveal that you know exactly what they're talking about and how to solve it or not? If you do reveal it, they think you're an idiot, escort you off the premises, or, <laughs> or shockingly arrogant, in which case, again, um, escort you off the premises um, versus if you do not, um, they wonder whether you've got any value to add. 
You know, like, well, why are you here then? You know, if you're just going to tell us we've got a problem, well, we knew that. <laughs> That's why we yeah. you. <laughs> so you're in a conflict, you know, yourself. Um, I violate a system need if I tell them they're the same as everyone else and they already know the answer, and I violate a system need if I do not. Um, and in both cases, if you're thinking about it from the point of view of, a, of a, an evaporating cloud conflict diagram, it's the A of the cloud. In this case, would be to presumably get another meeting um, if this is a sales call. Um, you know, either way, that need gets violated. You know, if you get thrown out for being too arrogant versus if you get uh, not called back because you appear to be useless. So you've got two competing forces and your behaviour pair um, rock in a hard place. Yep. Now, what this is, of course, is it's an injection to solve that conflict that says, well, instead of being a smart aleck and thinking I know all the answers, maybe what my job is, is to define the problem so clearly that that's the insight, is, is that they can, that the, there's an acknowledgement that at least the problem is clear, right? The solution's going to take some work, but at least the problem is clear. So that's um, an example of how you would use... Um, you know, how I think in Druids, uh, you know, even when I'm considering my own behaviour and considering yep. what I might or might not do, you know, I'm looking at it and going, well, you know, on the one hand and then on the other hand, and I've got a little, little Druid conflict going on in my own head, it's a good idea to, you know, you don't want to be dysfunctional or paralysed by your own observation that you're in a no-win scenario here. You need to get clear so that you can develop a win to that scenario. So, um, Sorry, on the, the frustrating. Peter, carry on. <laughs> What's next? Uh, or even that frustrating situation where you feel like you've solved something ten times over the last ten years, and yet it just keeps coming back because you haven't you haven't got the other side of the loop. So, yes, yes. All right. Okay. Now, did you want to just check in the chat whether there was anything uh, been asked already that you want to? Um, I'll, I'll leave the, the most of the Q&A, if I can, till the end. We'll, we'll take 15 minutes for that. And um, okay. so, so if anybody has questions as we go, uh, try and put them in the Q&A section because I'll pop that up on my screen and I'll just read those out to, to James at the end. Okay. Uh, now, uh, somebody's commented about... that it's hard to visualise um, because we don't have any pictures on the screen. So could I take a moment to perhaps just, just help people visualise what this Druid process is? Yeah, so um, if I, uh, I'm not sure whether I can hold up a picture, but I know we're going to use the audio, so I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can um, describe it verbally first. So imagine if you if you are, um, you're in a behavioural dilemma, in this, and when I say behavioural, I mean, do I do this or do I do that? So it might be as simple as, um, well, here's one that I had the other day. Uh, I, I bought a business recently that um, distributes uh, paraffin candles. That's a bit oblique, isn't it? But anyway, I did. And <laughs> in, in the discussion with the vendor, um, the question came up, you know, how do we tell people that the business owner is changing? And straight away, the, 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 a conflict was entered into between the, the person that I was um, appointing to run the business and the vendor. As to, you know, one of them wanted to send an email blast out to everyone on the database announcing the ownership change. The other one wanted to phone everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, so imagine you just write those two side by side on a whiteboard or a piece of paper, you go, phone everyone, email blast. 
Okay, now they're not literally mutually exclusive. I suppose you could do both, but like all businesses, you're in a hurry and you've got a hell of a lot to do and, you, and you've already established, well, I'm not doing both. Okay, so then what you can do, you take the two side by side, these two statements as to an action choice, a conflict that you feel, and you say, okay, if I do the first one, what, what goal will be violated? What need do I have in the system that will be violated? And what is the mechanism of that violation? And I recommend you get there in two sort of, um, and then what will happen is type jumps. So you go, well, if we send out an email blast, what I reckon will happen is that um, people will get the email, they'll open it up and they go, oh, ownership change. And then they will think, well, Paraffin, yeah. Um, I wonder, wonder who else supplies paraffin. And you trigger a go-to-market event. And then you suddenly find out that you've just had a, an unacceptable percentage of your customers have now decided to shop around and you lose them. So you send out this email blast and you lose a bunch of customers. So what you've got, if you imagine a diagram in which you've got the two behaviors side by side and you go, if I email blast, then people, uh, 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 their attention is drawn to their purchasing of the paraffin. If their attention is drawn to the purchasing of the paraffin, they, they go to market. They wonder if they can get a cheaper supplier or whatever. And then I lose sales. Okay, so let's now look at my op other option phone everyone okay so if i phone everyone then um my my new manager is going to spend all day for several weeks on the phone ringing the whole database right whereas i've got a whole pile of of, of you know stitching up the suppliers organizing freight i got all this you know manager the venue the, the 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 warehousing of the all of this has to happen and I've got this key person thinking that in order to protect sales, they've got to hit the phones. And I predict an unreasonable increase in risk of several other things going horribly wrong. So, and if you, so in other words, the goal violation there is a smooth transition. And I think the smooth transition will be completely stuffed up by having uh, my man go off and um, do that. So on the one hand, if you imagine it now, it's a figure eight loop. If I do this behavior, bang, 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 I lose sales. So I want instead to do this other behavior, bang, 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 I have a dreadful transition and it costs me money in other ways. So either way I'm screwed. Does that make sense? So I've now got this figure eight infinite loop of, of, of I'm in a bind, I'm in a bind either way. So I have to come up with a solution to that. Um, yeah, someone said oh, you can use the Zoom whiteboard. I think Peter, closer, a little closer to the end, you've got some pictures, yeah? Um, well, I'll send out um, a template and a couple of examples okay, so uh, how after this, but yeah, I want this to, audio to be fine as well. So you want the audio to work, so wherever a picture would be needed, I have to try and replace it. We will send out the picture, but we want people who only listen to the audio to get the picture um, by description um, as well. <laughs> So um, even if I have even if I had a picture, I still feel I need to explain. So if you imagine if just eight boxes on a piece of paper, and in the bottom two boxes you've uh, two rows of four. Down the bottom you've got uh, the two behaviors, and then just above that you've got what will go wrong if I do the behaviors, right? Uh, then what will go bad after that? 
leads to what goal violation? And a goal violation goes round in a loop. <laughs> For God's sake, draw it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, then. I'll draw a picture. Let me get a... Uh, okay. No, I'm going to need a fat marker back in 10 seconds. I don't want to draw on the screen because it'll wobble the camera. All right. So two boxes at the bottom, behavior one, behavior two. Can you see that, Peter? Yep. Yeah, it's good. If I do behavior one, something goes wrong, something goes bad, and a goal gets violated. So I've got goal violation at the top. So I go behavior, something goes wrong, something goes bad, goal violation. Sorry, I drew on top. The goal violation is the driver, the causality of me either doing, in the case of a business that's stable, or wanting to do the alternative behavior in the case of a singular decision. So this, these, of course, can coexist. You can simultaneously in a business have people doing one behavior and the other behavior, different people, or the same person doing the different behavior at a different time of the month or, or, or you know, as they, as they go around the causal loop. If I do the other behavior, something goes yes, wrong, something goes bad, goal gets violated, which forces me around the traps to want to do the other one again. And, and I can just go, I can either go around and around on the singular issue, getting increasingly frustrated with an inability to resolve it and choose, or both sides of it exist simultaneously in a business and remain in place um, at the same time. And that's, that's the difference between using it in day-to-day -day fashion and using it for deep causal analysis. For deep causal analysis, these loops coexist and both sides exist at the same time. Hope that helps. You will get the templates. There will be a template coming out. Okay. <laughs> and a recording. Peter, did, did you want so another example or how we going for time? Sorry? Did you want another example or how do we go for time? Um, no, I'd actually I'd like to move on to how do you go away and do this? So uh, with, with all of these webinars I'm intending to, I mean, it's a little different with this one. Most of them I won't know the tools, um, but go away and do it for the next few weeks to, to learn whatever I'm learning from the expert each month. Um, so what is my first step? You know, I've never, I've never done a drawer before. I have no experience with any sort of, Theory of constraints tools, so we'll right. assume that. Yeah. Where, where do I start? I go and you know, I'm going to go back to my my office today, or you know, my, my bedroom <laughs> to to work. Um, where, where do I start? But look, I, I think um, I'll, I'll give a couple of clues for this one. But you, the key is the yes, but the yes, but. So when 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 we say. Um, you know, what we need to do is reduce inventory on the, on the factory floor. Or what we need to do is, um, well, you know, send out an email blast. Or what we need to do, like that. Somebody's, somebody's in all you got to do is mode, right? Straight away, you as the audience or somebody else starts to say, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, but, but, and then they give a counter argument. That's your first clue that there's a Druid running. Now, if it's yep. trivial, they'll just negotiate solution. 
So much as, again, for the TAC people out there, if you think of the evaporating cloud being used as a device to stimulate a negotiation of solutions, it's exactly the same. In fact, technically speaking, this is a conflict cloud's cross-cloud violation causality. So this is the B and the C and the D and the D prime, and how does D violate C and how does D prime violate B? This, this, these are the violation arrows on the diagonal of an evaporating cloud for the for the technicians out there. Now, but but why is it more more um, powerful? You got the same signal, same signal as a cloud, the same signal as a conflict, an evaporating conflict. That is to say, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. And okay, the distinction is that when people tell their story. Um, they are extremely fluent at doing that. So what you observed when I was at that company in Germany is I don't have to teach them clouds. I don't have to teach them about competing forces models. I don't have to teach them about current reality analysis. I don't have to teach them anything, right? I just watch for goal violations. If behavior, then goal violation, get me there, right? And they, they don't need any training to get me there. They will explain in great detail. Why? Because it's a stuck record. They've been scrapping about this for a decade. They know the script, right? Yep. And then when you switch to the other side, they know the script too. So they're going to dish it out. So you don't, zero training is required. And the difference then is, so you as someone who's using this for the first time, if you find yourself teaching the tool, you're doing it wrong. If you find yourself explaining figure eights, you're doing it wrong. You don't need to do that. What, listen for the yes, but you, you put the behavior. Chain. Right, okay, okay, guys, let's just do this behavior that you've given me. Just do the thing. What'll happen? What'll go wrong? See, when you think about competing forces models, you ask a different question. It's like, why are you doing that? You see, what are you protecting? Right? Your problem is that what are you protecting? You could be protecting a whole bunch of things. So then there's the sort of random trial and error crapshoot where you're trying to filter from all of that. No, instead, take the opposite side and ask them to explain what's violated. And, and without any training, they can get there almost immediately. They know exactly what's wrong. So they will tell you. So that's what my recommendation is. How should you use it in the listening? Is you, you stimulate by, by um, bouncing back and forward between the two goal violations and and using the violation of this goal to say, ah, oh, so that's why you want to do this behavior. Well, that makes sense. And so why don't you do that all the time? And of course you get the, oh, well, see, the trouble with that is, and then you get the other story. Oh, and then that gets violated. So no wonder you can't do that all the time. Yeah, right. So that's why you want this. That's, you know, that's why you want B2, isn't it? So why don't you just do B2 all the time? And then you get the, and after, particularly if they can go around the story three times. So we do a thing in the business at WiseTech where um, you can actually use this as a role-playing uh, teaching device. You know, we might get uh, two core managers, two senior people on a call with a particular target audience of supervisors or managers who are looking for, you know, some insight into how to solve some problem and then say, well, here's an argument. And, and one of the managers takes one side of the the, the druid and the other manager takes the other side and they actually go around and, and they up the stakes and escalate the argument to, to almost to the point of parody where it gets ridiculous. And of course the audience thinks this is hilarious um, because what they're seeing is two senior people and who acting out the same conflict they're in. 
right? And not taking sides and acknowledging that, hey, this is real. Like we actually have an unresolvable figure eight here. Like we can't, we don't know what to do. Which opens the door, this is about the layers of resistance, opens the door to the idea that you, yes, you are stuck. <laughs> if we all acknowledge that you're stuck and trying to pre not pre pretend that you're not stuck, let's acknowledge that you're stuck. Now, let me show you how we unstick you. And that's the bite. So I use it, uh, I use it by listening for yes, but I listen for goal violations. I listen for all you gotta do is type language, right? And I don't fight it. I just acknowledge it and look for how the justify, justify the position. Don't refute it. Don't take the counter arguments, document both arguments. That's how you that's how you do it. So a no, the no-fail first step, as it were, is to just open your ears for the for the goal violations, the, the, the di those diagonals, those um, if if we should do this thing, that's true, probably should. But if we do, there's this other side, this counterpoint. Get the counterpoints out and don't take yep. sides. That's your, that's the first thing. That's probably close enough to um, and now if you use the template. It helps because um, it, it lets people tell their story. And also, it's, ju it's just enough content. Like, we only make it four boxes. Now, could it be three or could it on each side? I mean, four on each side. You know, I didn't pick that by accident, this, this, four, this two by four structure. Why four? Well, you need just enough space to tell your story, right? but not so much space that you sort of descend into generic hyperbole, right? Um, you know, you, you're blowing it out of all proportion, you know? If I don't put a stamp on every envelope, mate, sales are going to halve next year, you know, that sort of, yeah. I mean, pro probably that causality, that's a bit dodgy. You know, like, let's just get to the little goal violation that's actually upsetting you and not take it off into into um, horror stories so you don't you don't want too much detail in the first in the first quick lap of a of a draw you yep. want just enough on the other hand if it's too short people feel they weren't listened to and we found from experience that two lots are four some people want to write an extra box let them you know some people want to skip a box let them does it stop like doesn't matter yep okay so so I'm sitting down to use this first time. Let's say I'm not quite comfortable enough to jump into it with somebody else. Um, one option, obviously, would be to sit in quietly on a Zoom call with myself on, you know, video off and just draw this out on my, my laptop or something. But let's say I wasn't even going to do that. How, how, would I, how would I start with a couple of these just to get, you know, to, to get in the rhythm of it before I try and use it with anybody else? Oh, I would, I would pick something that's going on for you right now. Like that moment where you read an email and you go, oh, rather than I know the answer and just supply it when you sort of go, oh, and your hesitation doesn't come from not knowing. It comes from knowing that if, if you say D <laughs> and they do D, you know there's going to be a stuff up. 
On the other hand, if you say the opposite, you know, that moment where you're conflicted, like you can see both points of view. That's the crack at it practice on. You did a great one in the car once we were driving along, Peter, and you, you shouted something from the back seat. You said, like, it's all clouds. I was like, what? <laughs> and you said, well, if, if you change lanes now, you'll get to the light sooner, but you might end up in the wrong lane and get stuck going the long way around the airport. Do you remember that? That's right. Yeah, it was at the. That's what our driver was literally muttering about doing as he was coming up it, to the. It's the like, Sydney do I change lanes or not? You know. Now it's not that you know. I mean, it's trivial, but it tunes you in to the way your brain processes the information. If I change mm -hmm. lanes now, it comes with a risk. If I don't change lanes now, it comes with a risk. Like it's going to take longer, or we might be late to our meeting, or whatever. So just just seeing. Uh, just, just getting present to the dilemma you're in, um, which, which is, of course, exactly the same as using the clouds tool again for the TOC people in, in the audience. Um, you know, they've got there is a tool for this. This is just sort of like clouds on steroids with no training required. I think when um, uh, it, I presented at the TOC ICI conference and um, Alan Barnard said, um, "What's well, clouds, isn't it?" <laughs> I said, "Well, of course it is." <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, of course it's clouds. That's not really my point. My point is I can show people this tool and within 20 minutes it's going viral through, through their, you know, their business colleagues, right? I show them the cloud and they go, oh, okay, and then they want to go and practice it and then they find it's a little harder than they thought and nothing happens. And so you've got to run training courses and stuff. I, I don't, we hardly ever have to run a training course in the Druids. You show them two, and suddenly the thing's going viral. Um, to me, as a, as a contributor to um, business change, a tool that is intuitively obvious and goes viral, but has exactly the same input driver and output driver as another tool, is a tool that, that, that removes the constraint of the previous tool. Now, now converting the figure eight loop back into a cloud, it's a piece of cake because you got the two goal violations at the top and you got the two wants at the bottom. So, you know, any, anyone who's very comfortable with clouds can flick back and forth between the two. And in fact, some of our documentation, we've actually automated that. If you draw one, you get the cloud for free in a different sheet of Excel. And if you draw the cloud, you get your Druid drafted for you in the other cell of, thing of an Excel spreadsheet. So they are, in fact, the same tool. You're looking at the same house through a different window, I guess. The advantage and the clear advantage to me when I'm involved in business change is that on the one hand, you need a fair amount of experience and fluency to use clouds well. You don't need any to use Druids well. That's the plus. So it goes boom all by itself, and you don't have to do much training. All right, good. So just to come back to one of the points you said about an email, say one of the best um, ways you could start there is if you can find an email chain that you might have seen where you've got a couple of uh, people going backwards and forwards on an argument. If you've got one of those in your inbox anywhere from the last few weeks, uh, that's a good place to start because you'll probably have basically everything uh, for each side of the druid from the two people arguing backwards and forwards, or at least you can fill in the gaps, I'm sure yourself, if you know. Oh, especially if you're late, if you, you know, you're in the, as often happens with me, is the dialogue's been going on for seven or eight emails. And then, you know, I'm being copied in to, 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 to some of the management ruling, you know, what we need yep. is someone with some, some 
you know, what do you call it, clout and the guts to make a decision on this, you know, and then you read the trail and go, well, you know, guts to make a decision. What you mean is guts to goal violate. You want, you want me to acknowledge a goal violation so you guys don't have to figure out how to get build a win-win or stuff that, you know, like if there's a win-win in there, I want it. So I'm not making a I'm not making a ruling between two points of view and just sacrificing a commercial goal in favor because what happens next time it comes up and they copy that. Right. So this is very, very common from, from a management standpoint, is you get told to adjudicate between two points of view that are both a lose for the enterprise. Mm. Um, you know, so it's pretty easy if you're a manager to go digging through your inbox and looking for these trails. The thing where you've been added in after considerable back and forth, usually that's easy cannon fodder for go find the drill. Um, another thing I've, I've done to get my eye in uh, is, is listen to, like when attend, attend a meeting and say nothing but note down behavior peers and goal violation peers. Just listen for it. And listen to the, and then listen to the arguments that are being used to validate the goal violation. Like, like my, my goal, you know, sales targets is more important than your goal, cash preservation. Yep. Right. So you're listening in for that. Um, and, and when you can hear that, you can uh, start to note that down. Um, that's a good way that we train the managers at WiseTech with it, is just give them the, the template that you're going to send to the team. Um, and do you have a, a pad there that with a goal with a drill on it? Do I have a what, sorry? Uh, the, the, the pad, you know, the, the pre-printed pad. Oh, I don't have one in front of me, no. But uh, what I'll send out will be a PowerPoint. You, so you will send you, know, you can fill in the boxes, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, why just hand a pad of them with a template on it to somebody and say, look, just go to a meeting and come out with five of them. I'll tell you, oh, it's a 40-minute meeting. They'll come out with five druids, easy. Because this is how this is what meetings are. It's people presenting two sides of an or people presenting a side of an argument, having a debate about it, and then trying to make a decision. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So no fail first step really is take the template into a meeting with you and just listen, turn your ears on. You'll see yep. them there. They're everywhere. Easier than ever with working from home. People don't even have to see you doing it. Nearly every Zoom call I have ends with a druid, actually. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right, well, people, are, um, people are blowing up a bit about uh, answering some questions here. So now yeah, that I've got, that. The, got maybe last, time. <laughs> All right. Now that we've got the last 15 minutes, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get into it. So right. put your questions, as I said earlier, in the, in the Q&A section. Um, and I'll go through them here. Some half questions here. If you put if you put your question and try and fill out the whole thing rather than in two or three parts, because there's a lot coming in, so I've got to be able to try and read one off. So, uh, Peter, is this the like the dialog box that pops up that says "open nine answered and dismissed"? Can I just scroll that and just give quick reactions to some of these? Yeah, go for it. Yep. All right. So, Richard Zoltner said, um, "What's the difference between a conflict and a decision?" Um, I think I think you can. Probably for me, it's 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 the um, the distinction between sort of trying to optimize the utility of a choice. You know, do I go? You know, do I want to um, to go to the movies and eat popcorn, and and then you know just get a snack on the way home, or do I want to go out to dinner? Well, what you're doing there is you're sort of trying to maximize utility. The goal, the, there isn't a different goal between those two. 
So to me, it's a conflict when there's a goal violation. In the case of I want to go to the movies versus I want to go to dinner, if there's no goal violation, if I'm happy either way, I'm just trying to maximize utility, right? So if I'm trying to maximize utility, that's different. At the end of the day, what happens if you get it wrong? Nothing. You, you're just not quite as happy as you might have been. <laughs> so it's a big deal. Whereas when there's a goal violation present, you know that the benefits you gain on one side of the decision come at a price. As soon as there's a price to be paid, okay, now you're in a conflict. Because now you feel you feel that, oh, you know, whereas I don't, I don't feel particularly conflicted. If you say to me, would you like me? You know, i got two envelopes. One's got $100 and one's got $200. Which one do you want to pick? You know, I'm just going to grab one. Like, I'll just look at that and go, well, there's no way to choose. I'll take that one. And then I'll be happy because I'm $100 better off or $200 better off. I'm not going to bemoan the fact that my utility was lower because I made the wrong decision. Right. On the other hand, if you say, well, there's two envelopes in here and each one's got a penalty and a prize, ooh, okay, now I gotta weigh up the penalties, right? And my first thought would be, how do we get the prizes without the penalties? That's really the key issue when you're trying to solve conflict is what I want is I want all the benefit of the choices without any of the penalties of the choices. And that's the that's the that's the thing about trying to drag a drag a solution out of it. Is not the solution is not to choose, it's to come up with option three that doesn't have any of the side effects. That would be better. Okay, clouds have broad applications and can be used for trivial as well. Correct. But does Druid Loop have the same? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, what are the steps? I think we sort of covered that. Uh, I did end up drawing a, a picture of the steps. But that normally, um, it kicks off with... Uh, it's the yes, but is the, is the thing that triggers for me. So people say, oh, what we should do is this. And I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, whatever. But as soon as, as soon as somebody yes, buts and starts giving you those goal violations or those ouchies, um, you, you then, uh, ha, hang, hang, hang on, hang on, everyone, slow down. So what you're saying is if we do this thing, then this happens, then this happens, and then it goes, and then I've got a goal violation. Let me get that clear. That's really the trigger in the step process. And as soon as that happens, you then just need to get the other side. That goal violation is the driver for the alternative suggestion. Now, of course, are there only ever two suggestions? No, but what happens is people go to war on each other because they get entrenched in the two positions. And so there's their mental bandwidth for entertaining option three or seven, <laughs> you know, has been reduced to a fight about the two options that came out first. Um, and then they start trying to satisfy us. Okay. Um, does the system purpose come into play, uh, says Gordon? Um, yes. Normally, uh, if I'm mentally flipping between the two diagram styles, where in the one hand I'm saying this, there's a system goal, a larger system purpose, which has two necessary conditions. And those necessary conditions are the ones being violated in the decision uh, process. Then the system goal, the goal of that, the, the, the common goal of the two is relevant. What happens when you draw the figure eight loop, this is something you can watch for as a facilitator, is that the, the, uh, both parties actually get to the same goal violation. If that's true, that's actually the deeper system driver, the system or the purpose of the system that uh, they both share 
Um, and so you come back one from that because they're not in dispute about that. Okay. Um, system purposes, um, Gordon, I may, may or may not have uh, cleared that up because I'm not sure of the, the background of whether that's coming from the TOC definition or some other definition of purpose. But system purposes as opposed to goal violations, um, whether you're working on maximizing a utility function or whether you're trying to minimize damage, um, these are different. So system purposes tend to revolve around around utility function, that's more likely what the A of the cloud, if you're thinking in TOC terms, rather than the B and the C, um, or the system goal. I use those almost with a druid, I think of that as context. You know, that's where you say, hang on guys, you know, at the end of the day, we're all here to save lives, or at the end of the day, we're all here to get our passengers from A to B without crashing the plane. If all, you know, when all said and done, we have a purpose for being here. Let's not forget that. That makes sense? Yeah, so, um, that's how I would bring the system purpose into play is to stop the bickering quality of it. It's like, we're all, hang on, we're all on the same page here, right? <laughs> so that's the context within which the loop is being drawn. That's the system purpose context. I would normally, I'd say 70% of the time you can assume it because they know and they will they will say that. People will say, well, you know, at the end of the day, we're all here for blah. So um, I think that answers that, that one. If not, just ask another question. Um, uh, how do we resolve after we draw the diagram? Do we do it like, yeah, look, um, Rodney, if you've, got, uh, if you've got any skill with the TAC tools and you know how to uh, put the two behaviors into the DD prime of a cloud and the two system goal violations into the BNC of a cloud, draw a cloud, raise assumptions and injections, you know, that process, that's fine. That's what I would do. Um, if you don't know that, if you're new, and if you don't want to run training courses, as I've described, um, I think of it more as, you know, can anybody brainstorm a way to, so you take, you take your diagram and, and flip the um, negativity of the statement. So if it says something like, uh, uh, what was that one I said before about, as an email blast, do people open the email and they're triggered to go to market? Okay, is there any way we can send that email and not trigger that? What does not triggering it look like? And somebody might say, well, what if what if it instead of triggering go to market, I mean, it, it triggered a response or it triggered a click through or it triggered an expression of interest. Yeah. Okay, all right. So let's work our way around. So if it if it did, instead of what you gave me, it triggered an expression of interest, then what what how does that fix it? And you can follow it all the way around. You sort of get back and go, ah, oh, the whole thing would be solved. Great. So now we've got we've got a a, an option three now that doesn't seem to suffer from this. Now, of course, somebody might say, oh, yeah, but the trouble with that option, they're in a new one. But that's, that's uh, again, from a TOC perspective, that's basically ne the negative branch of an injection, <laughs> resolve an assumption of a conflict. It's the same process. But you, again, no training required. You can just ask for sort of a brainstorming of input. And you use this as like a test first document, right? All injections must pass the test. That is to say, they must alter the causality of this loop. If they do not, then they're not a solution. And shouting about it's not going to help you, right? Throwing more evidence at me that your idea is a good one isn't going to help you. It either fixes the loop or it doesn't. So let's, let's here it is. We can go around the loop and check it, right? So you stick your idea here and see what happens when we go around the loop with it, see if it resolves it. So use it as a test, a test first 
uh, framework effect. Um, so that's so, so the answer to the question is absolutely. If you're fluent with the TOC tool, use that. If you're not, use instead use this as like a test first to test brainstorming of ideas. Answered, James. We've got yep. um, we've got five minutes here. So what I'll do is if you have uh, if you have time to hang around and answer a few more, I'll formally wrap up. The, the webinar for those who you know need to get somewhere else who don't want to formally run over time. However, we can also have a meeting after the meeting to answer the rest of the questions if, if you're around. Yeah, I, look, I can stay on another 10, 15 minutes, no problem. So anyone who wants to hang around, stick around. Yep. All right. So for any anybody who, um, who needs to leave, uh, thanks for attending. I uh, really appreciate it. We're going to have I'm basically another one of these uh, each month with a, with a different expert this each time and a different um, concept or, or skill being discussed. Uh, you will get that email out, um, as many of you asked, with, with templates and examples in that, as well as the recording of this, which you can obviously watch as, as much as you like and, and share wherever you'd like to, to share. Uh, so that'll all be coming out possibly this afternoon or tomorrow morning. So look out for that in, in your inbox. Um, and that'll have some that, examples yeah, instead. And I'll, I'll let James get back to the questions. So, Peter, you're going to send some examples as well. Like, yep. we've got hundreds. So, I mean, yeah. this, is just, this is a day to day tool. We've got hundreds. So, there's no shortage of examples we can supply people if they want to see how it works. Okay. Um, can we work through? Uh, sorry, I've, I've scrolled. Uh, what do you ask to get the boxes? Was Rodney's question. And a real example. I did go through a real example, so I'm not sure if um, that was asked before, but let me go through another one just quickly for you. So uh, we had um, we had a, a, a question from our project management people about due dates and should I or should I not be putting due dates on projects? And that seems like a fairly legit question from a project management standpoint. <laughs> Um, and of course, as always with these things, my answer is uh, depends. <laughs> you know, what sort of what are you talking about here? You know, like I'm not going to be tripped and trapped into that one uh, because there's a drill here. So I would say, all right, look, the fact that you've asked me suggests you're conflicted. If you weren't conflicted, you wouldn't have asked. So if you put due dates on things, what happens? Tell me what happens. What what goes wrong? And so now somebody's also said, so I'll answer that at the same time. What's the difference between goes wrong and goes bad? When you say to somebody, if you do that, what goes bad? It, 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 it's, a, it's a harsh step because it sounds like it requires an accusation or some kind of, you know, let me stick the pin in somebody. If I say what goes wrong, it's sort of like, what, what is an inevitable, you know, not too nasty sort of drift in the direction of wrongness, which doesn't sound as brutal as what goes bad. So you might, you can pick your own words depending on your language locality. But for me, I find if I say, well, if you do that, what goes wrong? And so what the person says is, well, if we put due dates on everything, what goes wrong is within a week, there's an argument about the priority of those dates because some of the dates have serious commercial consequences if they're violated and some of them don't. Okay, and then what goes bad? We go, well, I don't know, we just reprioritize everything. No, 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 no. You, you, 
Something goes bad that leads to, to you experiencing a goal violation. You are in pain. When are you in pain? Get me to your pain. You put a date on it, you end up in pain. And you said what goes wrong is there's resequencing dialogues. So what goes bad? Um, well, all right. So I put a date on it. You know, I say end of June. And then there's 35 of these things active because I'm project manager, I'm a, I'm a project manager to the project manager. So there's a lot of these things going on. And I find that um, we quite perfectly, reasonably, legitimately change the dates on some things. And then all hell breaks loose. And the poor old project manager who's had his due date changed because of organisation-wide priority setting. And let's not forget the date was made up in the first place. So there should not be any commercial reason to stick to that date, right? Other than the fact that it was used as a priority indicator. Now what happens is that project manager is accused of being incompetent. Well, that's a goal violation for him or her. Okay, so if we put dates on everything, Project managers are accused of being incompetent. Yeah, right. Okay, that sounds like crap. Okay, let's not put dates on anything. Oh, that won't work. Have you tried it? Yeah, we've tried other, we've tried to not do that. We try only putting dates on things that actually have dates, like actually have damage if we miss them. Then what happens? Well, then what happens is that the things with dates on them muscle out the things that don't have dates on them. And the undated ones go on the never-never list and never get done. Because when you've got a choice as to whether you deploy resources to speed up this project or that project this week, of course, you choose the one with the date on it, don't you? Right. So then what happened? Well, then, you know, we couldn't organise a piss up in a brewery because we can't finish anything. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're either incompetent because you can't hit dates or you're incompetent because you can't start projects or your projects all stall. Yeah, okay, so sucks to be you, you're screwed. And of course, that is, well, that's why I came, but James, that's why I came to you. <laughs> Aha. Okay, so, so your problem is you're trying to choose between dating things and not dating things. And at WiseDeck, we happen to have a complete toolbox we call low due date environment. Here's a pile of content, go read that about how to run in a low due date environment and how to reconcile the scheduling problem. Now, I won't go into all the solution here because that's not the purpose of the session. Suffice to say that, of course, then the person in that position is now highly motivated to read that content. Right? They want this drill solved. So that's, that's an example. That's how to walk through it. That's the difference between goes wrong and goes bad. That's how you get the story going to a rock and a hard place. And sucks to be you, you're screwed either way. That's the thing. Right? And then you don't take sides you have a solution to the problem. Maybe you have to invent a solution. Maybe you already have one. doesn't really matter. In this case, we already had one because this is hardly a new conversation. Okay, uh, let's go. Next one, goal violation, wrong and bad outcomes of covered. After the eight box, we have talked about that. Um, so John, if you're not sure um, if that's been answered, just, just maybe clarify your question a little. Uh, when anonymous attendee says, when completing a CRT, the three by UDI method helps you determine what the core conflict is, correct? For the Druid method, how do you know? Ah, well, what's interesting in the three UDI cloud method, the way it was originally uh, taught to me, was that you do three and then you go back and look at the undesirable effect list and say, is this 
is this cloud, this merge of the three, is this somehow, can you see the causality connection between that and all of them? And if not, do a fourth, and if not, do a fifth. And what we learn from, you almost never get to five. What we learn from that is that the goal violations coalesce very quickly. Now, we used to, we used to um, struggle until there was a lot of practice at, at 3UD cloud gets me to these three clouds and I try and merge them. And suddenly there's all this creativity goes into merging the Bs and the Cs and all of this sort of, I'm a wise consultant with all this wisdom from outside the business, so let me tell you what your B and C are. Um, and the customer, this can work brilliantly, don't get me wrong, but sometimes the customer has a sensation of, well, it's all very well, but how the hell did you get there? The difference with Druids is that after they've drawn, say, five to seven of them, they say to you, hey, it's the same pair at the top every time. <laughs> so what's happening is this process of the, the, the merge process, the organizational merge process that you use in the 3UD cloud method, um, again, without any fancy training and almost no practice, a novice can, can document these Druids and by the time they get to the seventh one, they're seeing the pattern. So of course it has a lot more clout because they're now telling you the pattern and you can just do a quick sketch of the core problem based on what they said and say, well, it sounds like this is your core problem. Does that bite with you? And if they read it and go, ow, yeah. Okay, well, maybe that's the core problem then, you know? And then you can start testing it against other druids. And what normally happens is they come back and they go, man, that just about covers every business meeting I've had for the last 50 days. You know, and then they want to frame it. We've actually come back and found people have framed their core problem, which they got to not by doing a CRT, not by doing the 3D cloud process. They literally got there by writing seven drugs and themselves telling you what the core problem is. Then all you did is document it and hand it back to them. They put it on the wall, frame it and go there. Every meeting, if it ends up in this one, we need to talk. We need a, we need a big solution to that. This is not day-to-day -day trivia anymore. This is a core problem. Okay, hopefully that answers that one. Um, what if they come up with three to four? Brilliant. <laughs> I have no problem with people coming up with, um, which would be common? Oh, um, weirdly, as soon as that you get people off scrapping over the two sides of the road, as soon as a palatable alternative comes in that doesn't really have major negative side effects, um, you find that both sides are right into it. And so it, it probably isn't the first idea that comes out, but the second or third is generally more than, like, that's enough. Now, of course, if it's a core problem or um, whether it's a core problem to a business area or to the entire business system, that's going to require a little more work. That's why we have the more advanced tool sets. Um, but for, for most uh, conflicts that are handled this way, as soon, as soon as it's clearly articulated, the solution, pardon me, solution is often obvious. That's the freaky bit. It's like everyone looks at it and then someone goes, well, why don't we just do this then? And the whole room's like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> like, like that quick. Um, so, it, so it was never that the problem was truly unsolvable. It was just that, People were stuck in a rut, so they couldn't see the, the wood for the trees kind of thing. They were, they were stuck on their point. Um, as soon as you unstick them, they quite quickly 
Yeah, so hopefully that answers John's question. Brendan, Brendan, uh, do you catch yourself identifying system constraint you weren't previously aware of? Hmm. You know, yes. <laughs> um, it's very tempting as an outsider to listen to a problem set and then think you've got the answer. And of course, you're probably satisfying because you're listening for what you recognise. It's occurred to me that's very dangerous. I mean, I do know a lot of different system models and I do see a lot of patterns, but it's incredibly risky for me to project that onto a client or onto someone else's life. I, I find that almost offensive. I would much rather allow myself to discover something through the driven process that I was not aware of so I do not rush this. I calmly let it all play out, and, I, and, and I'm absolutely up for discovery. I'm not hunting for a new constraint. I'm not hunting for I'm just, just let it happen. Um, yeah, it's a real trap to think everybody's the same as everybody else. And in fact, that's one of the druids of consulting. And when I started working with the guys in, in the UK, the Goldrat UK guys have been really fantastic with this stuff. Um, a great deal of respect for the fact that they had the very same view. It was like, well, you know, you, you, you don't really want to go in and start cookie cuttering people. It's not fair. So yes, is the answer, Brandon. Um, I do. Uh, Christopher, uh, would you be able to open the tip? Would you be open to the technique being added to the process? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> happy to help. Uh, that's a yes. I would be open to that. Yeah, I think. If I'll just uh, I'll just jump in there, James. I'm not I'm not here on these webinars to promote the black belt thinking as the training course. However, if you're interested in more extensive training, clearly that's the place to get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, you know, I mean, WiseTech is one of the biggest buyers of black belt thinking tickets on the planet and um, continue to do so. And there's a very good reason for that. You know, I mean, we have people in-house who could run the courses, but the um, having, having the course run properly by professionals whose job it is to deliver those outcomes to us is better than having internal people with their own internal agendas. Mm. You know? Like imagine you're trying to teach druids but the topic that comes out is one that you have a functional area accountability towards. Trying to do that with no bias in your hat's pretty hard. It's much better to, to say to Viago, look, just, just, I don't want to know, just, just get them documenting their stuff and get them fixing it all. You don't want to bring your own bias into it. So, uh, yep, I'd be happy for Takiko processes to use it. I'd be even happier if Viago were involved in that. That'd be great. How do you know the loop's fixed? I talked before, Kira, about um, using it as a bit of a test-first document. Um, so uh, that's generally how you know. I mean, fixed, fixed is difficult. What does fixed looks like? Fixed looks like the participants are no longer warring. Fixed looks like you and I look at the option in front of us and go, so are we both going to, are we willing to work on this? And if the answer is yes, we are both willing to work on this same statement. It bring this done statement, this expression of doneness into being. Um, as soon as we are collaborating cooperative, 
the loop is, is fixed. Um, <laughs> does your solution work? Okay, there's other tools for that. You know, obviously you've got to, to you know, prerequisite analysis or you've got to plan, you've got the necessary conditions and all of that, fine. But at the end of the day, collaboration's the game here. The, the, the inability to act because we can't choose to act together um, is the destructor here. So, so there's sort of two phases of solved. Phase one is we're actually working together on the problem and we believe in the same done statement. Then there's actually solving it, which requires a little bit more than just the drawing. Go on, Peter, you wanted to add something? No, no. Just oh, sorry. Yeah. It, it popped up and said Peter wants to answer this question live. So <laughs> you might have Oh, up. no, I'm just doing that to clear them off the list as you answer them. Oh, okay. Um, could I look at the camera instead of the script? Sorry. <laughs> Where's my camera? Is that better? <laughs> Is that looking off screen slightly? Um, how to unearth undeclared agendas? Ooh, well, I've got a couple of ways to do that. Um, the main problem with the, and this, this actually is an issue with the cloud method, I think, because when people smoke screen the B and C of the cloud, again, if you're not from the TOC world, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll connect the dots in a second. But if you're used to using the cloud and people are lobbing in these smoke screen net system needs to try and drive up their point of view by making it seem like the world will end if they don't get their thing, whereas actually their need is undisclosed. The thing about the Druid is that it's very hard to draw a causal link in only four boxes to the world ending with some sort of hyperbole of a system goal violation that's so dreadful that you can compel the other side to comply. It's very difficult to do in only four boxes. You sound like an idiot if you try. So I've noticed that when people use this tool, they might open with uh, a claim that the world will end, you know, sales will halve if we put prices up, you know, this sort of thing. And then when you say, okay, well, let's just write that down, you know, like we'll work it through. And if there's that, so what goes wrong? What goes bad? And how does the goal get violated? You, you end up with the, you can sort of uh, stare at the outcome and go, really? And of course they've written it and they know what they've written is rubbish. It's sort of like, well, yeah, all right. Then. Mm. Well, that's not really what's bothering me. You know, okay, well then what is bothering you? Um, if they don't want to disclose in front of the other party, I would split them, take it offline and do it separately and then get them to clean it so that it's okay to present and then bring them back together. It's hard to, um, an undeclared agenda versus a, um, an agenda you wish to remain undeclared are, are different questions, obviously. So in this case, if it's, if it's simply undeclared, the way that you get it to be declared is to draw the branch to the one they did say and then sort of wait. Um, it, it's generally pretty obvious. If you um, if they want to keep it hidden, again, that's clear because the it's clear that they're not being fully uh, disclosing. So you've got to provide a safe space for that. Take it offline. Maybe get someone who's not like. Sometimes I am on one side of the conflict, in which case I'll get a neutral party and say, "Look, can you please figure out the druid here, and then clean it for." for consumption by both sides and then bring it in. But it needs to be true. You know, we can't be solving things that don't exist. Um, so that's a couple of ways to address that. 
There's a subtlety of what goes wrong and goes bad and not getting. Possibly the two words are synonymous. Oh, there, it's only a psychological device of using the word wrong versus the word bad. It's, it's nothing to do with the words having a different meaning, you know, in the dictionary or anything. When I say to something, somebody, it goes bad, it sounds like a value judgment. It's in, it, this might be a New Zealand thing. Maybe you need different words. If you say it's going wrong, um, it's like, let's say I'm carrying a, 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 a tray of cocktails, you know, and I trip and, 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 oh, and everything wobbles and, and then I recover. Um, well, certainly it was going wrong, but it didn't go bad yet. It goes bad when I trip over and the whole lot goes to the floor. That's the going bad bit. So it's a matter of magnitude. Wrong is like it's a little bit wobbly. Um, it's not bad yet, but you can see that it's maybe wrong is to do with the risk going up. Think of it that way. Uh, wrong is when suddenly the risk in what you're doing has risen. It hasn't gone bad yet. Um, capturing that as distinct from it then going bad. And one of the reasons for that is it often gets risky. It only sometimes goes bad. So that's another difference. Uh, if, you, if you ask people to jump straight to bad, you then get into arguments about the magnitude of the bad and you get into arguments about the frequency with which it goes bad. Whereas we can all agree that 70% of the time, if you trip <laughs> while carrying a tray of cocktails, that's, that's risky. Like we agree with that and, and, and we, there's no value judgment in that. Um, you drop the tray all the time. Okay, now, now you're calling me incompetent. You know, I've dropped the tray twice ever. Yeah, but you keep tripping over. Sure, but I don't drop the tray. So now we're getting into this, this magnitude argument and I'm discounting the branch by disputing that you're accusing me of being bad. I'm having a, a, a DRP, a directly responsible person reaction rather than reacting. Whereas if you say, well, you trip all the time, that puts the risk up, doesn't it? So that's a bit dodge. Um, how often do you actually trip over? Oh, only a couple of times. Well, all right. You know, it's, it, there's a difference in the accusation level. Hopefully that helps. Um, I don't think these are super hard and fast rules. They're just devices to get the, the conversation to go round the loop without it getting bound up by people going on the defensive. Um, if, you, if you can think of a better way of doing that in your context, that's fine. All right. The eight, the flow of questions. I've done a couple of laps now of examples. Have I um, further on flow of arrows? Gold violation. Yes, correct. So your top left goes down to the bottom right. It's a feedback loop. And your top right comes back to the bottom left in a feedback loop. That's where how you get the sort of infinity symbol of it. So you go from B1 up to goal violation one, which feeds back to the opposite side B2, which goes up to goal violation two, which comes back to the opposite side B1 again. Oh, good. Now the questions are that we're answering the questions well. That's nice. <laughs> Vicky. Hi, Vicky. Been a while. Uh, can you talk about how we manage tensions in a positive way? Cost versus quality, fast versus slow. Um, Positive way. Well, I think by acknowledging that people are trying to protect system goals, it takes a lot of steam out of stuff. Um, you know, when you when you watch people defending um, the other party's idiocy for violating their 
the system need their protecting. It's often it's quite nasty. Um, whereas with the with the it, it, clouds done right, clouds done calmly, which is tricky, um, versus druids done right, uh, uh, and it's only a speed factor. I could certainly get there using conflict diagrams, but with the druid, uh, as I say, no training, so it's quick. Um, you're just acknowledging it. You're saying, well, okay, that's that's a bummer. You know, it's not like you're an idiot because you're goal violating. You know, why would you do such a stupid thing, you moron? Is often the implication we managers go to warn each other about how stupid this other idea is. You're you're the oil on the troubled waters with that, is to say, well, no, no, hang on, this is a perfectly reasonable argument. We don't want that outcome, do we? We don't want that outcome either, do we? I'm not telling you that I'm going to choose one over the other. I want to choose both good outcomes. I want to dampen both negative effects. So it's win-win or no deal. This is a this has a very calming effect. So this is um, the ongoing tension in a positive way. That's how I do it. I point out that we're here to work together to reduce the negative effect on both sides. I'm not going to take sides. I want a win-win. Now, you know, occasionally people have said, oh, you know, you're a manager, just make a decision. I have a standard answer to that. Are you sure? Because don't you think afraid of making a decision? I'll make a decision, all right. What if I decide against you? There's a druid there. Because then what you can do is say, oh, it's his fault. He made a decision. Well, there's such a thing as loyal opposition. If you ask me to make a decision and I make one, you then have to make it work. That's your that's your role in the in in the prop in the process. So we can you can either use my expertise, intelligence, and wisdom to help find another way, or you can live with my decision and then make that work. But I will still be holding you accountable for the outcomes. And then, of course, people go, ah, no, on second thoughts, I prefer the first option. Let's work together on it. Because <laughs> they're all smart people. <laughs> you know, like, they don't want to be dictated to. You know, there's a company full of, it's like the Big Bang Theory where I work, they're all geniuses. They don't like being dictated to. So, okay. Um, John, please verbalize how this works. Sorry, might have lost the context of that one. Um, I think that was um, regarding, well, he's got a follow-up question below, which I think covers it in more are detail. Are we the arrows? Yeah. What's the time? 21? Have I answered that? What? Not getting what happens when the arrow goes back. Oh, and what? Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. So when you get to a goal violation, like let's say, let's say in my case with the email blast, uh, we get a go-to-market event and um, what happens is the top line drops. So what you're doing is you're tying this sort of catastrophic maybe back to legitimizing the fear of the suggestion and then legitimizing the assertion on the other side. So it's not that the goal violation occurs and causes the other behavior. It's that the fear of the goal violation or its actual occurrence motivates the other behavior um, and, and a natural human response is to, is to protect the system with that other behavior. So I'm asking questions like, well, first of all, I'd say, so is that when when that, so the fear of that or that actually happening is why you're suggesting this alternative. Is that right? And then they can say yes and explain why their alternative fixes the, the other side, the side they don't agree with. And just let them let them and then I can acknowledge that and say, well, that, you know, that I, I can't get it. That's a good reason. That goal violation or threat of is a good reason why you're suggesting this. 
Okay, so, but then what if we do this? So we're not, hopefully that helps. So the, the, the feedback loop is about legitimizing the, the intention of the person promoting the action as legitimate, fair, and good. You know, they're not an idiot. They're making a good, solid suggestion for how to improve the system. <laughs> uh, wrong, wrong versus uh, bad, uh, says Ben. Um, is it personal? Yeah, probably. I, I don't, again, I'm not, as I said before, not, not laboring dictionary definitions of wrong versus bad. This is only about letting people tell their story and letting the, so as the, as the magnitude of the catastrophe escalates, the probability of the catastrophe tends to crash. So, so the wrong bad thing is just about saying, um, when we do this, nearly always this little niggly niggly occurs. Sometimes that escalates and sometimes that escalates, but not always. So it's about the progression, the transition of a probable negative effect that may or may not ripple effect versus the improbable but unacceptable negative effect um, of, it, of it going too far. Um, so that's, that's, so yes, it is a matter of perspective. I think in some, some druids, the journey up that chain is, tri you know, the trivial links. You know, sometimes you draw them and you can just about go straight to the end one because the goal violation is not that serious. Uh, but in cases where the goal violation is quite serious, um, then you need a little bit more. And then John says, and then you go where to keep to keep figurating, is it infinity? I, sus I suspect the example, like the, the examples and templates are going to help a lot here, John. Yeah, look, John, I think when we send out, um, if Peter sends you, you know, a couple of dozen um, actual <laughs> actual group loops and we've got plenty so that, well, I don't think that'll be a big issue um, uh, and there may be um, if you want to send out some of our ones Peter just like I'm okay with that but just check with me and I'll you know, make sure they're you know uh, somebody from Wisetex looked at them from yeah the I mean yeah we've got sanitizing them well, you know don't want to be dobbing a customer so or something <laughs> but yeah I mean, these are very generic um, loops. So, so yes, John, uh, but it's symmetrical. So if, you, if you've got a goal violation legitimizing the action on the other side, and similarly, you end up with a goal violation legitimizing the action on the other side, it doesn't matter which side you start on. You could flip the diagram. Um, you, 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 treat, you treat them as it's just a total mirror image. Mm. All right. Okay, well, I think you had a you had your scheduled time went pretty well, Peter, and now we've answered all the. Oh my goodness, no open questions. There you go. All right. All right. Well, well I guess that's you're it. free to leave when you like, and I'll turn my video and things off. I'll just go through and screenshot these um these questions and things um so that we can put them over top of the video recording, so you know it pops up when you answer each question, sort of thing. Ah, uh, so okay, like yeah, and there may be some graphics you can add on to the video later if people want to come back and watch it again, and you've actually got it drew it or two that you can you know if, if people want to watch it again and they see the images is that what you mean yeah yeah that'd be fantastic be great all right thanks very much everyone and thanks for the really good questions really appreciate it all right thanks just hope to see you the next one bye